Well, as we uh, kind of turn a corner to the material that we're going to work through today, uh, just a question. How many of you remember this movie from the year 1984? Uh, never any story. You remember this movie? Uh, I, I watched this as a kid, and uh, I remember there is just one scene that is seared into my childhood brain, and it's of a horse just slowly sinking into quicksand. <laughs> Anybody remember that scene from the movie? Oh my gosh, as I was growing up as a kid, I just thought, oh wow, okay, quicksand. That's going to be a big deal in life. Like I'm going to have to, that's a risk that I'm going to have to watch out for as I go through life. It turns out zero encounters, zero encounters with quicksand in my whole life. But that uh, image of that horse is just seared into my brain. Uh, anyway, uh, the beginning of the movie, uh, if you remember, the, the main character, he's uh, running down the street and he's being chased by these bullies. And uh, he ducks into a bookstore. The bullies don't see that he went in there. So they keep running by. And the kid is looking out the window just to see, make sure he's safe. And the bookstore owner calls out to him and says, hey, kid, you got to get out of here. What are you doing here? This is not a place for video games. This, this is a place for books. And the kid turns around and he says, I love books. I read books all the time. I've read Tarzan and Wizard of Oz and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. I, I, I love books. And the bookstore owner, he comes up to him and he says, yeah, but your books, your books are too safe. He says, when you read your books, you can be with Captain Nemo under the sea or you can be with Tarzan swinging through the jungle. But when you close your book, you get to go back to life as a little boy again. And the bookstore owner, he holds up the book he's reading and he says, this book, this is a dangerous book. This is not a safe book. This book, this book's not for you. And of course, the bookstore owner, he sets it down. He goes to answer a phone call and the kid picks it up and he begins to read it. And as he does, he realizes that his story is like woven in to the very letters and the very fabric of the words on the page. And not only that, but the, the words on the page are becoming part of his story as well. And that, my friends, is what I love about the book of James. As we're traveling through this together, it's just like the words that James has to say are just our stories are right there. And it's like what James has to say here is a part of our story as well. We can't help but be stretched and moved by what James has to teach us. And I don't think, I don't think today is going to be any different. Because James asks a, a pretty important question. And the question he asks is this. Um, how do you know? How do you know your faith is real? How do you know your faith is genuine? How do you know your faith is authentic, that you're doing this Jesus thing the right way? How, how do you know? That's a pretty big question, isn't it? I mean, for those of you who are brand new to following Jesus, you have accepted his free gift of grace. You are trusting Jesus, but, but now what? And for those of you who have kids at home, you're trying to teach your kids what it looks like to follow Jesus. You're trying to model that in your life. But how do you know that, how do you know that you're doing this faith thing the right way? How do you know for sure? And for those of you who have been attending church for, for years, maybe for decades, 
How do you know for sure that this whole time you've been doing your faith the right way? How can we know for sure? Because the stakes are, the stakes are pretty high, aren't they? Here's what James has to say in a passage that we're going to look at today. He says this in James chapter 2. He says, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, it's dead. James says there's a way that you can have faith, and you can have faith, but, it, but it's, a, it's a dead faith. It's not a faith that is alive. As uh, we work through this passage, um, I just hope that if we explore the passage and we explore our own hearts, that we just do the work we need to do to make sure that our hearts are alive to a God who loves us and our hearts are alive to the people around us. And as we leave this space or on your campuses or satellite today, I just hope you walk out with a sense of feeling like I just met with God today because the reality is he so desperately longs to meet with you. Uh, James is going to give us uh, just three tests, kind of like three indicators that will help us to see if our faith is real. And so the first test that he gives us, the first test is real faith. Real faith moves us. And here's what he says. Uh, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And here's the verse that we read. It says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And James says, uh, real faith, the first test that you can give to see if your faith is real, is going to move you. Uh, you're going to trust Jesus, and as you do, you're going to see the world around you differently. It's going to cause you to move through the world differently and act differently and respond differently. Imagine uh, you have a coworker, and uh, your coworker is really active. They're really vocal about their faith. I mean, they talk about it all the time. They talk about how much they go to church. They talk about how they're uh, so invested in their small group and they're plugged in. And then, and then they talk about um, just the ways that they're serving and they bring their Bible to work. You see them in the office at lunch, just doing some devotions together. Uh, but, but the same coworker, uh, you know that they just treat people pretty terribly. Not only that, but they try to find ways to cut corners or loopholes so that they can just excel in their position. And, and you know that they, they, they lie to people. Sometimes they even lie to customers. You've even heard them lie to your boss. And you just kind of take a step back and you scratch your head and you wonder, okay, well, how does, a, how does their faith and the things that they do, the way that they live, how do those two things match up. It just doesn't seem like those two things are fitting together. And James says real faith, real faith will move you to respond differently, to act differently, to see the world around you, see the world around you differently. Uh, Jesus, uh, he says it this way. As someone has asked him, uh, he's a religious leader, and they asked Jesus a question. And uh, the question is, how, Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? 
how does that work? And Jesus, to answer his question, kind of just spins it around. And he says, well, um, what do you think? What do you think about it? How do you inherit earth, uh, eternal life? And uh, the guy says, well, I've been thinking about this a lot. And there's two things. Uh, here's what I think. I think you need to love God. And I think you need to love your neighbor. But uh, here, that's, that's where I kind of struggle. I, I, I just don't know. Who is my neighbor? Jesus, can you tell me? Like, who is my neighbor? And in order to answer his question, Jesus tells this guy a story. He says there's a guy, he's, uh, he's robbed, he's beaten up, he's broken, he's bloodied, he's unconscious, and he's laying on the side of the road. And uh, three different people, they, they come by. One guy uh, is a priest, and he sees the guy on the side of the road. He crosses over to the other side of the road, just keeps going. And a second guy is like a religious leader. He comes by, sees the guy on the side of the road, does the same thing, crosses over, keeps on going. This third guy, third guy's a foreigner. Like uh, he didn't grow up learning about God or uh, hearing the Bible stories, but he sees the guy and he picks him up and he bandages his wounds and he takes him to a place that's gonna take care of him and he pays so that this guy is taken care of. And then Jesus says, well, uh, what do you think? Which one of those guys was a neighbor to this man? The guy says, well, I mean, it had to have been the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, you're right. That's right now. Go and, and do likewise. Because real faith in Jesus, real faith will respond to the people around us differently. Real faith acts differently. Real faith. Real faith moves us. Uh, my kids, uh, they love amusement parks. And so like uh, roller coasters and water parks, they, they love it. And so Michigan's Adventure is a must go to at least once a summer for us and our family. And uh, I always think uh, maybe this is a summer. I don't know. Maybe this is a summer where I won't injure myself on the Shivering Timbers roller coaster. Hasn't happened yet, uh, but I don't know. Maybe this year will be the year. Uh, anyway, if you've been to Michigan's Adventure, you walk into the park, and kind of right around the corner, there is this 50s diner. And right outside this diner, there is this cool-looking, red, old, classic car. And I don't know a whole lot about cars, but my kids, they just, they just loved this car. And so since the time that they were really little, they would run up to this car. They would look through the windows. They just thought this car was really cool looking. And now my kids are getting to the age where they're starting to drive. They would just freak out if I said, hey, you know what? Here are the keys to that car. Why don't you, uh, why don't you take it for a spin? You know what? It's all yours. But if I did that, there would be a pretty big problem, wouldn't there? I mean, that car has been there forever. That car is bolted to the ground. That car probably hasn't had an engine in it for decades. I could throw them the keys to that car, but that car is not going to take them anywhere. That's not, that car is not going to move them anywhere. They might be able to unlock the door and sit in the front seat, but that's pretty much about it. I mean, in a real way, keys to that car... They're pretty much useless, right? It's, it's great if a car looks cool on the outside, but if a car doesn't take you anywhere, if a car doesn't move you anywhere, I mean, what's the, what's the point? I mean, it's pretty much useless, isn't it? It's just, a, it's just a car that's for show. 
And I just wonder, as James talks about our faith, he says faith should move us. Faith should, faith should take us somewhere. I just wonder, a question for you. Is your faith just for show? Is your faith moving you? Is your faith taking you somewhere? Because James says faith, uh, faith that doesn't move us, it's, uh, it's useless. As you look at the track record of your faith, and the times that you have just, uh, just put your faith in Jesus, can you, can you say, you know what, I, I was here, and now I'm here. Uh, can you look back at your faith and say, you know what, I was here, but now, now I'm here. Because real faith, real faith will move us. Real faith, real faith in Jesus takes us somewhere. James says the first test that we can give our faith is just to see if it will move us. And the second test for our faith says real faith, real faith changes us. Uh, Here's what he says as he continues. He says, but someone will say, uh, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. Uh, James says, uh, real faith will move us. Real faith will change us. And he says, uh, faith and our actions are inseparable. Like you can't pull those two things apart. But some might try to separate those two things and say, you know what? Um, what about uh, he has faith and, and she has faith and she has faith. And, and uh, they, have, they have actions and deeds and they have actions and they have actions. But, but we don't have to all have the same thing, right? Like, like they could be really active in their, their, their like trust of God and their faith in God. And they can be really active in their community and how they, how they live out their faith. But we don't all have to have the same thing, right? And James, he answers that question by pointing back to a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, this is way back in the Old Testament, and it's called the Shema. In fact, this is a passage that any Jewish person, even to this day, any good Jewish person recites this verse every single day. And the verse in Deuteronomy chapter 6 goes like this. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's just this reminder that we worship one God. Uh, we, We don't worship that thing over there or that over there or that over there. We worship, we worship one God. And James says, well, even the demons believe that. I mean, even the demons believe that there is just one God. Demons are spiritual beings that oppose the work of God. They push back on the work of God kind of at every turn of the way. And demons, demons know a lot more about God than you and I do. Uh, and, and James says, well, they, they know the truth about God. They know that God is one, but, but that doesn't change anything about them. Uh, demons, uh, they, they aren't changed at all. Uh, there's some stories in the Gospels as we're following through the life of Jesus. And every once in a while, a demon will pop up on the scene. And when a demon comes, uh, immediately the demon sees Jesus, recognizes who he is, sees his power, knows his authority, and is terrified. But people who have been uh, walking along with Jesus, maybe for hours or days or maybe weeks or months or years, they're not connecting those dots yet. Like they don't, they don't see it. I mean, they've seen Jesus do some 
pretty amazing miracles. They've heard him teach, but they're not connecting all the dots yet. And a demon immediately knows who Jesus is. And James says a demon knows the truth about God, but it doesn't change anything inside. And James says, don't live like that. Don't, don't go through your life like that. Don't look at the truth and walk away. Don't look at the truth and ignore it. The truth should change you. The truth about who Jesus is, it should tear you down and rebuild you again. It should change you at your core. It should change you at the center of who you are. And that should bleed out of you everywhere you go, every conversation you have, every interaction you have with someone else. I was at lunch uh, with one of the elders here at Ada Bible Church. An elder is a volunteer who's a spiritual leader here, just provides vision and guidance and wisdom and care for our staff and for our congregation. And uh, we went out to lunch to just talk about ministry. And uh, we sit down and the waitress takes our order and she comes back with our food and uh, she sets the plates down on our table. The elder that I'm with uh, he just says to the waitress, hey, uh, we're going to pray uh, for food and uh, just thank God for the food that we have today. And since we're already talking to God, is there anything that we could pray for you about? And she stands there for a second and, and then tears begin to roll down her cheeks. And she says, yeah, uh, actually, actually there is. Uh, we just found that my husband was diagnosed with stage four cancer and, and we... We just don't know what to do. We're lost. We're confused. And we just, we just don't know what to do. So we prayed for her. And then uh, three or four times throughout our meal, she came back to our table to, to check on us, but also to begin to ask some spiritual questions. Uh, questions like, uh, what kind of church are you guys a part of? What do you believe at your church. Where, where is your church located? And I, I don't know, maybe, maybe this waitress, maybe, maybe you're watching right now. And if so, I just want you to know that I have been praying for you. I've been praying that God would meet you, that God would bring you healing. I've been praying that even as you're traveling through this really hard and really difficult thing, that God would remind you, he would surround you with people to point you to a God who loves you deeply. And at this lunch, as this elder just cared for our waitress, I was just reminded that when we trust Jesus, that bleeds out of us in every conversation. It changes us at our core. And I was just challenged because I don't think I've ever done that before. And this elder was just an encouragement to me and a challenge to me to take steps of, of trust, to be changed at my core uh, by the truth about who Jesus is. In fact, uh, Jesus says it this way. Uh, I love how he says this in John chapter 4. He says, if you love me, it's really simple. If you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, show it by doing what I have told you. Show it by doing what I've told you. Uh, it's almost as if... Um, our, our, our hearts might change. We, we say we trust Jesus and we love Jesus, but our habits haven't caught up yet. 
Because this is something we have to do on a daily basis, isn't it? It's like we roll out of bed, our feet hit the floor, and we say, I love you, Jesus. Now what needs to change in here so that I can show and reflect how much I trust you and love you to the world around me? What needs to change in here? So maybe that's a, a question for you today. Is there something in here that needs to change so that you can show the people around you how much you how much faith you have in Jesus. And maybe just how you spend your money or your time or uh, how you treat your coworkers or maybe what you do on your phone or your computers. There's something in here that needs a change. Maybe a belief that you have in your heart and your habits need to start to catch up. Uh, James says real faith will move us. And then he says real faith will change us. And lastly, uh, he says, real faith, real faith trusts. Real faith trusts. Uh, sometimes faith is hard. And sometimes taking steps in our faith is, is really hard. Sometimes it's really challenging. And sometimes we find ourselves in circumstances or situations where it just feels like taking a step of trust is something that would be really, really hard. And for those of you who have been a follower of Jesus for any length of time, I just, I don't think this is new information for you, right? I mean, a dating couple, uh, they sit side by side with their budgets and they're looking at their expenses and they're looking at their income and they realize, wow, we could save hundreds of dollars if we moved in together. Uh, but because of their faith, they have committed to not sleeping together until they get married and they realize that if they move in together, there's, there's no way. That's just going to be impossible. And so they take a step of trust and they decide, okay, we're, we're not going to move in together. But it's, it's challenging. But it's a, it's a step forward in trust. As he's uh, looking through his screen time, he realizes he's not only spending hours a week on social media. He's spending hours a day on social media. And he's finding that it's taking him places that he just really doesn't want to go. Uh, places in his heart where he's just feeling jealousy or, or inadequacy or things like anger because of something that someone said or something that someone posted. And he wants to trust God with these emotions and these feelings. And so he takes a step of trust and he decides to delete the app. And when he does, he immediately just feels this sense of relief. And at the same time, he already misses it. It's challenging and it's hard, but it's a, a step forward in trust. Uh, she texts a friend. It's a, a really good longtime friend. And it's an invitation to get some coffee. Because she's in a place in her life where she's just feeling like she's really stuck She's spinning her wheels. She's not making any progress. And she needs to get together with someone else and tell her friend something that she's never told anybody else in the entire world. And she needs to take a step of trust and a step of faith towards Jesus and say some words that I think might be the hardest three words in the English language to say. I need help. I need help. And so she takes a step of trust. Real faith, James says, one of the tests, one of the indicators we can 
give to our faith to see if it's, if it's real. Is if we find ourselves making some challenging decisions and some challenging choices because we're deciding to trust in Jesus. And uh, to explain this to us, he tells us a story about a guy from the very beginning of our Bible, uh, all the way back to the book of Genesis, a guy named Abraham. Uh, Abraham, um, if you were to Google his name, you would see that Abraham's name is, is there's like hundreds of times it appears in our Bible. He's, uh, his story has like chapters devoted to it, like a huge biblical character. And James begins by telling us how real faith trusts, by telling us a little bit of his story. Here's what he says. He says uh, this in James chapter 2. He says, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did uh, when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And so this is a throwback story all the way to the very beginning of the Bible. And uh, it's a story where God is choosing to create a nation of people who trust him. And this uh, nation of people, he begins with one guy, one guy named Abraham. And he begins over years to just give Abraham small tests of faith. And he gives him test after test after test. Hey, Abraham, do you trust me? Do you trust me with this? Are you going to trust me with this? And sometimes Abraham chooses to trust God. And other times he kind of goes his own way and does his own thing and has to return back to God and trust him. But over time, Abraham develops this just long track record of consistently trusting God over and over and over again. And then God gives him this one massive, giant, challenging test. And he says, Abraham, I want you to take the thing that you love more than anything else in the world, and I want you to give it to me. And in this case, it was Abraham's one and only son. And so Abraham, because he has this long track record of trusting God over and over and over again, he decides to trust God even in this moment. And so he prepares to sacrifice his son, he builds an altar, he makes all of the preparations, and right before he sacrifices his son, God says, no, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, don't do it, don't, don't hurt the boy. Now, Abraham, now I know that you trust me, now I know that you have this deep, real faith in who I am. And God provides this ram for Abraham to sacrifice instead. And all throughout our Bible, we can read it in James and in Hebrews and in other places. Abraham is commended for the faith that he has when he trusts God with even something as big as this. But I just want to back up for just a second and say, wait, so God asked him to sacrifice his son? Wow, what is that about? He asked him to sacrifice his kid, his one and only son? How in the world... Could God, how in the world could he trust God in that moment? And we have the privilege of holding our whole completed Bibles in our hands. And, and we can read through it and see that God never intended for Abraham to sacrifice his son. But Abraham didn't know that. He didn't know that in that moment. And yet he still chose to trust God even in that moment. 
And not only as we read through our whole completed Bible do we know that Abraham was never, God never intended Abraham to sacrifice his son, but we also know that God always planned to come himself as a sacrifice for all of humanity. And James says, real faith, one of the tests that you can see if your faith is real, real faith is gonna trust God, even when it feels hard and it feels challenging. At my house, uh, I have three boys and uh, every once in a while, my wife will go out with some friends and uh, on those nights when it's just me and my three boys, we call those nights man night at my house. And we always have a man night tradition. And our tradition is to, just to make dinner and always, we always eat the same dinner together. We always eat lobster, macaroni, and cheese. And uh, it used to be when my kids were little, you could go into Meyer and uh, you could, there was like a, a meat section and the fish section. And they used to have these big tanks with these uh, live lobsters in the tank. And so I'd take my kids there. We would find the biggest lobster. We would buy it. We would bring it home. We would set it on our counter. And then the four of us, we would gather around this lobster. And then I would encourage my kids. All right. Uh, hey, which one of you, which one of you wants to pick up this lobster first? Which one, which one of you is going to be brave enough to reach out and pick up this lobster? I mean, it's got the, the rubber bands on the claws. It's not going to get you. It's going to be okay. You, you don't have anything to worry about. Which one of you is brave enough to reach out and grab this lobster? And, of course, my kids will look at each other and say, I'm not doing it. Like, you do it. You go first. You do it. You do it. No, no, no. You do it. But eventually, one of them would be brave enough to reach out and to pick up this lobster and to hold it up. And so every man night when we would do this together, we would just take a, a man night picture. Uh, here's a, one of those pictures from our man night. Kids holding uh, this lobster. I love Eli down here. He's, uh, qu he's not quite there yet. <laughs> but uh, it never failed. Every man night, my kids would be terrified to pick up that lobster. It didn't matter if we had already done this like five times before. They thought, okay, this is the time where the rubber bands are going to fall off and the lobster is going to get me. Like, this is going to be the time. But my kids, eventually, they listened to my voice. They trusted that I wouldn't put them in a situation where they could be hurt. They believed me when I said, everything's going to be okay. You have nothing to worry about. And so eventually they would reach out and they would grab this lobster and hold it up. Real faith listens to the voice of our Father and trusts that he has our best interests in mind, trusts that our Father cares about us, that he loves us deeply. And whatever circumstance or situation we find ourselves in, we can, we can believe and we can trust that even there and even in that moment that he cares about us. And James says, uh, real faith. Real faith will move us to act. Real faith will change us at our core, and real faith challenges us to take steps of trust. But as we uh, work through this section, uh, I just think there's a question kind of underneath all of these other questions that James has. And uh, I think it's maybe the question that's at the real heart of what James is trying to get at. And the question is this, uh, do, do, do you have faith? Do you know what it means to, to have faith? Have you, have you trusted in Jesus? 
I like to say it this way. If there is a God, then he must be a perfect God. And if there is a perfect God, then he must be in a perfect place. And if there's a perfect God in a perfect place, there's no way that you and I could ever connect with him because we have all been born with this spiritual disease called sin. And every single one of us have these these imperfections in us. It just wouldn't make sense that we would connect with a perfect God in a perfect place because all of our imperfections would make him imperfect. And that's bad news. But the good news is that when we could do nothing, God did everything. And he came and he lived a perfect life. And he died on the cross. And now he takes all of our imperfections and when we put our faith in him, he gives us all of his perfection. And that's good news. But the good news doesn't end there. Because the Bible also says that when we put our faith in Jesus, the spirit of God comes to live inside us. And so trusting in Jesus is not just about us getting to heaven. It's about heaven getting into us. And that's what James is talking about. How we have heaven inside of us and it should pour out of us everywhere we go and every interaction that we have and every conversation that we have with other people. Uh, Jesus, uh, as we read through the Gospels, if we were to take everything that Jesus said and we were to put it in a big pile and then divide the pile up by the things that he said, do you know what the biggest pile would be? The thing that Jesus talked about more than anything else I mean, he talked a lot about relationships and loving other people. He talked a lot about money. But do you know what the biggest pile would be? The thing that Jesus said more than anything else. He said, the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. It's like Jesus is bringing heaven to planet earth. And you and I, when we put our faith in Jesus, we partner with him and we bring heaven to the people around us. It should pour out of us. It should bleed out of us. Real faith. Real faith will move us. Real faith will change us. And real faith trusts in a God who loves us deeply. That brings us back uh, to the never-ending story. Uh, The bookstore owner begins the movie and he just says, Hey, your 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 books are too safe. Because when you read through your books, uh, you can close it back up and you get to go back to life as usual. But dangerous books, you read a dangerous book, it changes you. It moves you. You can't help but be stretched and challenged. You can't help but see the world around you differently. Dangerous books, dangerous books change you. And as we continue to just work through the book of James, my hope is that together we are just moved and challenged and stretched and changed by what we read together. And more and more as a church, we could see the world around us like Jesus does. Uh, We stand with me here and those of you on your campuses or our satellite, and I'll pray for us as we finish our time together this morning. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful that we have an opportunity, even this morning, to put our faith in Jesus. That you love us, you care about us. 
God, that you long for us to just be heaven to the people around us, that it should bleed out of us in every action, every conversation, every moment of every day. And God, I pray that you would just help us change what needs to be changed, that we would be moved by that truth, and that we would find ourselves trusting you even in the moments that feel challenging. God, I pray that you would give us the ears to hear what you're longing to speak into our lives and the courage, the courage to live it out. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for being here today. We'll see you next week.